Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to the Creationarium, where we deep dive into the aquarium of human creativity and ingenuity. I'm your host, Aaron, from the Thrush and Treasure Podcast, and in our 49th episode with the Queen, Caroline O'Connor, I lightly touched upon a story from the Australian film industry, and so I've spun that off into a new show, as you do, where we'll expose the hidden figures and stories where people have banded together to create something magical. And so in this first season, we're going to flesh out the little known story of how the Power Rangers accidentally saved the Australian film industry. And joining me for this cinematic adventure is one of the mighty movie Power Rangers himself. He's a sound technician who was one of the many inexperienced crew members thrown into the deep end to create Australia's first big budget CGI laden film. But it was their individual expertise that exercised and exorcised that aforementioned inexperience when the Aussie can-do attitude took over. But I don't want to spoil all the good bits, so here to continue his story from last episode is Mr. Paul Matthews. I've always said in, in that industry at that time, you would go into these meetings with the producers and it would be all very positive. You know, oh, we should do this. Oh, yeah, oh, actually, we can do that. Yeah, we should do this. And every time you, you turn around to them and say, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And then after half an hour later, you walk out and you'd look at yourself and say, fuck, what have I just done? I mean, for God's sake, Paul, there's no chance in hell you can do what you just promised. You know, there's absolutely none. <laughs> so I suppose the saving grace was that they were always on our backs and say, look, this is going to film next Friday. You have to have it ready by next Friday. But in our minds, we knew these guys aren't going to be anywhere near ready by Friday for this. So we know we've got longer. So we're just going yep. to take that extra time. We're going to make it work. So in most cases, that's what saved our ass on Power Rangers. But uh, it was done on an absolute shoestring of a budget. We had no money for most of that. I think we spent $2,000 on the whole film. So a lot of it was calling in favours. Uh, a lot of it was borrowing. A lot of it was scrunching up secondhand stuff, which could be trashed. It was very much a basic Australian, yes, we can make this work, can do attitude to make it work. And it was just amazing. But the, I think back to the things that we did back in those times, I can give you one story. The command centre set. Now, you've, everyone in the Power Rangers movie has seen the command centre. That's where Alpha is. Now, those control panels, which are all around the set, uh, I remember Colin coming racing, because we were still working on another set over in the other pavilion at the time, came racing over. It was like 6 o'clock at night. Paul, 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 we have a serious problem. All the buttons are melting. Oh, God. Now, at the time, I wasn't the guy fitting in the 240-volt fluoros in these panels. And they put dozens of fluoros under each panel. Uh, and they're just normal fluoros. They went down to like the hardware store and got yep. just wired together. And, of course, the temperature in there was enormous. So the buttons themselves were melting inside the box. Okay, this set, we film this at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. It's 6 o'clock tonight. What are you going to do? I think from memory, me and Peter, the other guy who was working with me at the time, the set dressers had got a whole heap of old computer equipment to use as set dressing material, just like, you know, just, just old equipment from scrappers. Yep. We went down and we rifled through that and we managed to find ourselves about 12 little fans. And we, like eight o'clock at nine o'clock at night, we were frantically trying to fit these fans underneath these panels. And uh, like, 
they were 115 volts, so we had to wire them in series to get 240 <laughs> and all these sorts of crazy things going on. And I tell yeah. you what, seven o'clock that morning, mate, it worked. Oh, wow. <laughs> it worked. That's an indicator of the sort of stuff that was going on all the time on Power Rangers. You know, way too late to go to the shop and buy anything. Yeah. Whatever I had to do literally consisted of was ever in the back of my year at the time and whatever was on the floor. Pinching stuff from other sets was common. We'd say, oh, we need this now. Oh, what have we got? Oh, we, we got that on the other set. Okay, go and pinch it. We need it here, you know. Crazy. Everything getting done twice. At what point in the filmmaking process was that button melting? Oh, that was fairly early to my involvement. Sort of like, uh, yeah, sort of oh, November, December. Yeah, basically fairly early into the production side of it when they just uh, started to wanting to film that set because that was one of the first sets to be constructed, the command center set. So see, I, I didn't do the 240 volt on set work but they just didn't uh, see that this would be a problem and uh, i don't think most people would no. no a lot of people wouldn't think that especially these days classic know. story of the sort of stuff that we had to do at short notice you know but also happening early in the process just goes to show that this was a bit of an adventure for you guys that every day there was something new and yep. uh it, it's just like oh for fuck's sake what now you know and it's just like it'd, it'd be nested on top of stuff that there'd be times when you know you turn up to work on something and it wasn't there it'd be moved and it's like okay quite often with the zord cockpits because they were relatively portable you could put them on the back of a truck with a crane if you wanted to mm-hmm. and so the space that we were working on is suddenly needed to do something else and so they've moved the thing because i wouldn't tell anyone yeah. It's like, where the hell is the sword cockpit's gone? I said, oh, I don't know. So you'd have to actually find where they were and then, you know, get in your truck and drive off somewhere else in Sydney to find them. <laughs> oh, Godfathers. <laughs> Stuff like this going on, you know. So we'll take it back to your first day on this job. What were your expectations? Did you think, here's this Hollywood studio that sent this popular franchise here? This is going to be easy. Or were you shitting yourself? <laughs> nah, look, because I didn't get involved from the very start, I was called on to it. Um, of course, I was a mad fan of the show, as I've said. Yep. I was also involved in a little thing out west called Swar FM, which was a community radio station startup going on out there. And uh, there was a guy who was on that committee called Ken Jones. And he also happened to be the guy who was responsible for all the antennas up the top of Centerpoint Tower at the time. The film called for... Centerpoint Tower to be grabbed by the villain and hurled as a sword at Megazord. So uh, they had to build a set of seven, eight set replica scale of uh, of, uh, Centerpoint Tower. So the set dresses just drew a blank. Where the hell do we find all this stuff to dress the set? You know, we got antennas, we got dishes, we got all these sorts of things. They had no idea what to do. So they called up you know, Centerpoint said, who does your staff? They put them onto site, who was the mob who was doing it at the time. And of course, eventually it made its way to Ken. And uh, Ken said, oh yeah, well, we can give you a whole heap of stuff, but it's really expensive. And I don't think we're really willing to let it go without some sort of supervision. Hang on, I think I know that just the guy to sort you out. And that's when my phone rang. Ken and I knew each other well, and he could trust me with them. So his attitude was, look, you know, you can you can take what you need as long as this guy handles it and puts them on for you. Uh, so that's what I did anyway. It got back to them, and it got through their set dresses to Colin, who gave me a call one day and, uh, and said, okay, you're on the job. And, of course, I think to this day I'd never jumped as high in my life. I think I left a roof, a hole in the roof that day. Because if you imagine, I'd actually got the, the dream gig that I really did want at that time. It's just like, yep. holy shit, this is exactly what I want, you know. Anyway, a week later, I go in 
uh, I needed a mobile phone in a hurry, so I went and bought a Motorola brick. <laughs> yep, and they were in 95. Mm-hmm. I went in and saw Colin, and he uh, took me to see the set, and yeah, yeah, no, really interesting. And he, in the other side of that pavilion, they were building all the Zord cockpits, and he turns around to me and says, you know, I've got this problem. I've got all these Zorg pockets and I've got to dress them with like, you know, real life um, electronics and lights and so on. I've got this guy working for me, but he's working on another job and he can only work for me at night. So he's charging me like a bomb. And that course, the person you'd got was the legendary Graham Beatty, uh, who at the time was sort of, I mean, Graham's a great guy, but he was sort of towards the end of his season then, if you know what I mean. So he was actually working on another film during the day. He was coming and helping them working on that at night, but he was going nowhere near fast enough. So he said, look, I really, really need someone who can do this. Can you do the job? Mm-hmm. And of course, idiot me said, hey, can I do the job? <laughs> of course, I can do the job. So uh, that's how I got that gig. That's how I became the sword maker. That's how you broke into the film industry yep. by accident. Goodness gracious me. Some of us are working our ass off for decades. Look, oh. <laughs> uh, I had the right tools at the time and I yep. just came in and did that. But I'll tell you what, Power Rangers was one of those sorts of shows. Heaps of people, hundreds of us got our first gig at Power Rangers yep. because because so many favours were called in, so many favours. Yeah. People who knew someone who knew someone, oh, shit, I need this, I need it now. Do you know someone? Oh, I think I know someone who knows someone who might be able to help you. Phones just rang and rang and rang for weeks around Sydney, and that's how all this came together. People who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who thought they might be able to do the job. Colin was one of these guys who didn't really believe in the nepotism. He was willing to uh, you know, trust someone and take them at face value. Uh, in, in this particular case, he had no choice, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is it ended up both me and Graham working on the project <laughs> because there was just so much of it to do. That's, that's why it fascinates me so much because that's this community that he was this challenge and everyone just sort of banded together. And... It really was. Hey, we're going to make a movie. Come on, let's get together. Come on, come, come on down. Make, tell, tell, your, tell your friends. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And yeah. that's, that was the attitude. Most of it was hurry up and wait. But at the same time, it's like, hey, you know, this is just pioneering stuff. Got to get it on the bottom floor. You got to do something with it. So, yeah, that's how I got involved with that gig. Yeah. Uh, the first day that I went, I was called to the, the night shoot, the big, big night shoot in Sydney. Sunday night it was the first time they were uh, doing the city street scenes with the, you know, the, the cones. It was actually the scene where they uh, where they blow up the car and where the Power Rangers land next to Gowings there uh, on George Street. And, uh, and that was where it was all happening. Um, that was still when the hero actors were still in the suit. So uh, all the hero actors were there and they didn't have visors on that night. So they had no visors. Yeah, I remember this because um, at the time it was a different cast that we were still watching the first yes. season in Australia. So we. That's right. Johnny Bosch. Yeah, and uh, Austin St. John. That's right. And yeah, Karen Ashley was the new Yellow Ranger. So in the movie, there's these new characters, but we knew the old ones. So no one had any bloody clue who they were, well, but people were excited. I, I didn't, when I first t- turned up, I didn't have a clue. I said, oh, what, was, yeah. what happened to the pink, right? What happened yeah. to the Yellow Ranger? But then I saw uh, David Yost was still there and I thought, oh, yeah. I can, he's still here. That makes sense. <laughs> there was a thing in the, the newspaper or something like, come down and meet the Power Rangers because they wanted oh, to, that, to film the crowd shots. That was at the very end. Oh, was it? Okay. That was right. That was literally the last shot that was in Sydney and, uh, and that was quite funny. Like I heard about it and I thought, oh, okay, this, this might be interesting. Didn't really hear much about what was going on. Mm-hmm. But then the following day, 
I, uh, I heard it all on the news on the on the 2WS and all the other various FM stations that were broadcasting at the time in the paper uh, that this is all happening. I said, do they know that this has been promoted? Do they know that this is actually going on? Uh, so I ring up and talk to uh, Tim, who was the set dresser, head set dresser at the time. And Tim said, yeah, we've all decided we're not going. <laughs> So a whole heap of guys, a whole heap of Collins people who were going to go, they decided, oh, we're not going to go to that. We think it's going to be a real shit fight. <laughs> so I turned around to Colin and said, look, I tell you what, I'm a, I believe in Power Rangers. I'll go. Yep. So I went and I was one of the few dre- set dresses who was on set that night. And amazingly enough, as a result, I was the only crewman to ever get in the film. Oh, there you go. Where, where are you? I'm going to write this down. On- right at the very end where there's a, I don't know, there's a celebration tonight sign as the camera pans around to pick up the Rangers at Darling Harbour there. And I'm holding up the celebration tonight sign. Okay. <laughs> on, cool. the, on the right hand side you can clearly see it so it's like one of these cases where the wind was blasting and the thing was going to fall over so i said look i'll just go over there and hold up with it yeah and i think i must have been there for about half an hour i turned around to noni roy who was the, the dp at the time and i sort of motioned to her i said look can i move now and she said don't you move an inch you're in shot <laughs> <laughs> so i stayed there for probably about an hour and a half i was completely worn out by the time i'd done that just trying yeah. to keep this bloody thing from blowing down. You weren't inside the Triceratops skeleton, were you? No, no. That was Someone actually... was wearing a blue T-shirt. Yes, that was done in Queensland, that. Oh, was it? Um, the, the, you mean the, uh, the, the bone creature? Yes, in the, the rainforest area. Yeah, that was all done in, that was done after the Sydney thing finished, and that was all done in Queensland. Oh, okay. Wasn't yes, there so... some rat costumes that were made? Oh, that was early on. The original script called for these rat creatures. So the, you know, they made these rat creatures costumes. I think they were made in the US, those. And they bought them out and they they shot one scene with them and it looked terrible. I mean, it looked dreadful. (laughs) It looked so campy. I mean, I know Power Rangers is campy, but this looked really bad. So they just said, right, no, no, we're not having rat creatures. We're going to have something else. That's when they uh, came up with the ooze men. The shot where they're in the, their first fight and with the uh, ooze men who, when yep. you hit them, they turn to ooze and so on. Well, that was supposed to be the rat creatures, uh, that scene, but it became the ooze men. The ooze men were literally invented in 48 hours uh, from a little studio that was in Sydney at the time called Studio Kite, run by <laughs> a little girl named Vicky Kite. She did that in 48 hours from oh, scratch. Wow. And those costumes were created in that two days. Uh, and that she had them ready. That was that was just a classic case of, of what was happening with Power Rangers. You know, just like we have to create something right now and it has to look good, yeah. you know. So, yeah. The rat creature costumes, they literally got thrown into a dusty corner of the production office. I remember seeing them sitting there. And then they disappeared just before Christmas. And lo and behold, did I find out that they went and got used up at Gosford for when they shot one of the uh, TV show <laughs> scenes up there. Because the production ran late, they started to produce some of the TV show out here as well. And the first funny thing about that, I remember Colin telling me that Paul Schreer and Jason Narvi, who were Bulk and Skull, who mm-hmm. were out here all the time, but just not doing anything, they asked to be first AD, first assistant director on the TV shots that were out here. And they got the job. Oh, good on them. Colin says, oh, did you know that Jason Narvi and Paul Schreer are the first AD for those shots? <laughs> I said, no. He said, oh, crikey, well, nothing's, nothing's amazing <laughs> in this world, is it? Anyway, they did a good job of it. I mean, they shot most of those shots up at uh, what used to be called Old Sydney Town up in Gosford. And uh, oh, I think it was Return of the Green Ranger was one of the episodes. 
the wedding might have been the other episode, I think. Yeah, that was um, the plot of the wedding was that they were coming to Australia. What they did, apart from the Super Sentai scenes, which were still Japanese, of course, all the scenes they shot in the US were shot with helmets on. And then out here, they would shoot the, the genuine. That all was done. That was literally done between Christmas and New Year. So, like, they had half of Christmas off. Boxing Day, they were up at at, um, at uh, Gosford shooting that. And they, they had that all between Christmas and New Year was, was when those shots were done. Oh, and wow. then they were back straight back into the film after the 1st of January. Goodness me. And did you work on the, the TV series as well? At no, no, I didn't work on the TV show at all. I actually... No? was teaching a bunch of kids about music. So I said, well, I'll take a heap of Power Rangers um, props and they all enjoyed that. <laughs> How fun. Still on Power Rangers, the, the TV series, in the background of the TV show, sort of bits and pieces from the film, sort of props were uh, are spotted because they're filming at the, the showgrounds at the Oh, pavilion. yeah, yeah. They did quite a bit of that at the showground when no one else was there. Yeah. So Just, there's a whole heap of shots that I've got on that, um, that blurb of mine which yep. are actually shots that I've snapped from the TV show where you can clearly see bits of what used to be the showground behind it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, for our international listeners, you guys don't have the Royal Melbourne show or the Royal Sydney show. It's sort of like a fair. It's a, the country fair in the city and you get show bags and there's rides and all that stuff. And the pavilions are the cattle pavilions or the livestock pavilions where they'll have basically that. They'll have cows and sheep oh, and, and, case, and stuff like that. And In the case of most of the, the stages that we used, that there was the commemorative and the government pavilion, which are two huge pavilions built in the late 30s. Yeah. Mostly, well, one of them was like for manufacturers where they'd have all their big stands and the other one would have been like for displays, yeah, like the, the regional displays north east south west and they'd have all their uh their the fruit and veg and everything piled up in these big displays it's quite a complex story that people don't understand about sydney because you see that 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 area has been fox studios now since forever but people don't understand that 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 was the sydney showground back in 1994 when power rangers was shot that was still the sydney showground so we had to get out of there by the end of february so that they should start setting up for the show yeah, the Easter show. That's before uh, anyone even talked about it becoming a studio. I remember them running TV news during that. They were t- showing pictures of us building stuff for Power Rangers, uh, suggesting that it could be a studio. Anyway, it's all history now. They moved out of there in after the Easter show in 1997. It's the last Easter show that was held at that site. Two weeks later, me yeah. and Colin Gibson were the very first persons on the site to start shooting Babe Pig in the City. And so I was one of the first on that site and I was the last to leave it. That was the last big hurrah at that site. I did an enormous amount of work on that film uh, with Colin. And that's probably another story that could be told later. But uh, the, we were on, like Fox Studios was built. But when, yeah. when the showground moved out, it was still the dilapidated old showgrounds. Yeah. So as Fox started to build their fences uh, and build their studios, we were on the old side of that fence. So we were on the what was left of the Sydney showground side. You're on the East German side. Yeah. So they were slowly but surely encroaching on our space all the time. They would start taking over more things and they'd start taking over power feeds in particular, which used to be my problem because I was head electrician of the site at the time. And so, yeah, it's just, we were the last of the old hurrah, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this the old fashioned way. And that's the last thing that was ever done at that site, the old fashioned way. Everything after that was done the Fox Studios way. 
Alrighty, on that cliffhanger, we're going to close up the creationarium for this week. Huge thanks to Paul Matthews for joining me in this first season and for sharing his story with us. And also a special thanks to former Melbourne indie rock outfit Walkin, Drew and the Boys, for letting us use their song Fish Out of Water for our theme song. So check the details below for links to their music. They've got an EP available, digital and physical. We'll be back next time with the continuing story of how Fox Studios in Sydney came to be. Be sure to check out Thrash and Treasure on the Bloop Network. It's hosted by myself and we have some of the industry's most amazing guests. And you can follow this account at Creationarium PC. So look for the details below. And to you at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Hooroo!